0: This is No Love in War, a story of Christian nationalism. Written by Valerie H. Hobbs. Read by the author. With original music by Jonathan and Caroline Hodges. Originally published in open access print form by Mayfly Books. Chapter 13 The destiny of your very soul is at stake. It is possible to be deluded, it is possible to have a false security. It would be tragic to go through life living a lie. Every professing Christian should ask himself, Am I really a genuine Christian? Do I manifest the traits of a true disciple? Rev. John Otis, Who is the Genuine Christian? The Council of Chalcedon, 1988, Issue 8 Comply, Resist, or Hide Whichever I chose, the outcome seemed the same. More than once I retreated to the woods, rubbed my face, my arm with poison ivy. My eyelids swelled and shut, my arm oozed. I would render myself repulsive to any such gaze. I could not get away. Oh God, where is my refuge? Do not leave me defenseless in and amongst so much vicious noise, as I sank into the pit of myself. I early on began to look around for other neglected and unknown things. Like so much other coping behavior, I did this instinctively, another means for me to connect with some world beyond the boundaries of our cold community. When I was very young, it was as simple as pocketing a glass button I found in the street an unusual leaf, an acorn, a colorful string, or even a paperclip. Wherever I went, I carried one or more of these treasures in a coat pocket, or zipped into the inner compartment of a thrifted white leather clutch I sometimes carried. The items I found were never relics of home. Crucially, they were things that seemed to me wholly disconnected from any space I inhabited. For this reason, I learned I had to keep them hidden, since, once an item entered the public eye of my family or certain members of my church school, it could be seized. This lesson came after a period collecting kittens and puppies that seemed, to me, abandoned. As soon as they became aware of each animal, my parents made the journey to the local pound in my father's work van delivering whichever homeless creature I'd adopted to an uncertain fate. Each time I felt again a surge of searing separation from life somewhere out there, from some semblance of hope. So what I found could be seized and lost again. What was worse, it could be ridiculed or admired. The latter was equally as bad as the former deposited as each item would then be into the repertoire of some church school person. Now no longer my sacred thing, but ours, theirs. Our pastor's eldest daughter, Diana, would often publicly claim things she especially liked, telling a detailed, personal story demonstrating why she alone had the most special, the closest connection to some tree, some musical artist, some food, some author, some location. When you were driving that way, did you pass my tree? That's my special tree, you know. Anyone else who expressed any appreciation at all for anything she earmarked was somehow participating in her family's curated collection, their ancestral brand. We declared it to be good. So of course you like it, too. Doesn't everyone want to be just like us? For all these reasons, I kept all things I treasured to myself. All my genuine joy, I squirreled away. As I got older, as experience taught me to trust in each new day's potential, I looked beyond just the concrete, things I could touch and handle and carry, to the abstract Even the fleeting. The reassuring touch of soap and warm water on my face. The hectic push of wind against my back. The resolution of my breath as I climbed a hill on my bike. The susurration of the wind moving across leaves. A hug of hot soup in my stomach. One day I discovered a grove of pitcher orchids in the woods behind my house. Our science teacher didn't believe my joyful account, and this I took as a sign that this too must be kept secret, protected as sacred. Gradually I let go of any compulsion to hold in my hands the things I found. I could leave behind an unblemished acorn in the woods, since another would certainly come, or something like it, perhaps something even better. In this way, I began slowly to place some trust in the world. All such items, all these moments, I gave the same name. Secret Presence. Initially, I had no conscious idea of who might be the giver of these gifts. The universe, maybe. Or perhaps they came to me through the power of my own summoning. This thought thrilled me for quite some time. But as the years went by, I came to think that maybe, after all, it was God, who, as he travelled in and amongst the hills and valleys of heaven and earth, came to where I was, and when he saw me he took pity on me, and wrote my name upon the artifacts of the earth, storing them in stealth for me alone to spy and hold in my desperate hands. This was the comfort of my childhood, that perhaps the god we worshipped weakly was in truth a false god, and not this god of small things who met me in the woods, in a tree, or in a gutter, a god I'd come to look for, wonder about, and expect, my god of the lost and found. All these secret presents were his trail of breadcrumbs. They'd lead me somewhere, only I had to watch, gather, and wait, and tell no one. In and amongst all these lost and neglected things, perhaps I could one day locate myself. Perhaps in finding, I too would be found. This has been No Love in War, A Story of Christian Nationalism. If you have appreciated this free audiobook and would like to make a donation to the author, please visit this podcast's Spotify site.